The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning, Neighborhood Church. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let me just take a moment to settle the debate. Uh, It is now socially acceptable to decorate for Christmas. You can wish each other Merry Christmas. Uh, You know, if if you've had Christmas decorations up already, uh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I forgive you. Um, But you're just going to have to take down the Christmas decorations a week earlier. Uh, So just, you know, make sure to plan that out. Just joking. My wife calls me the Grinch at home, really. She does. She is. I, I kind of am when it comes to Christmas decorations, but our house has actually been decorated already for a full week, so just to let you know. Well, it's a joy to uh, worship this morning with you all and to dive into uh, our, our sermon series this Christmas. Good news of great joy. As I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about uh, history our country's history and also uh, global history, some moments in time that are worthy of celebration. July 4, 1776, when the 13 colonies declared themselves as one nation independent from King George and Great Britain. Something to celebrate. January 31st, 1865, towards the end of the bloody Civil War, the 13th Amendment had made its way through the Senate and now was passed as law by Congress Congress abolishing slavery in the United States. August 18th, 1920, after a hard-fought series of votes in the U.S. Congress and in state legislatures, the 19th Amendment became part of the U.S. Constitution, giving women the right to vote. May 8th, 1945, also known as VE Day, Allied forces in Europe brought the conflict in World War II to an end and defeated the German reign of terror in Europe. July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, leaving a mark in history heard all over the globe. September 14th, 2019, Kirsten and I's wedding anniversary. Also, a day of celebration. Worthy to be celebrated, right? So, as I was thinking about these things, though, even in history and wonderful things to to celebrate, some of them... um, more sobering than others, right? But, but a lot of these were, were events in history that had a particular audience. They had relevance and weight for a certain people group or certain countries or nations over others, whether that being as an American or as an ally in World War II or a person who has fought for civil liberties for others or a person who has been denied civil liberties or a Holocaust survivor, or maybe just Kirsten and I. But all these celebration moments in history have an audience to which each celebration holds great weight. And this morning we begin our Advent series and our theme, Good News of Great Joy. This news has no restrictions or exclusions when it comes to its audience. It is good news of great joy for everyone. Dave and I will be preaching through the Christmas story with our sights set on Christ, the story of his birth into a world of sin and decay, and this advent or coming of Christ was designed and ordained by God, 
culminating in the work of the cross to mend the wound of sin and bring true peace and joy to us and to the world. Let's pray before we begin this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the joy and the peace that you brought through Jesus being born into this world. Thank you for the time that we have to celebrate it, a time that we set aside each year to think about Christ, to think about the true peace and the life that he gives, this, this hope, as Rivers was saying earlier, this longing that the world has to be free of sin and decay. God, thank you for bringing us this hope through Jesus and his death and resurrection. We love you and praise you. Amen. So before we open up to Luke chapter 1, I want to set the stage a bit for us. Uh, at this time, Luke began writing, and, and in the historical context of Luke chapter 1, there had been 400 years of silence from God. Not necessarily saying that God didn't speak or work in any way, but there hadn't been a direct prophecy from God in over 400 years. God used prophets throughout the Old Testament to, to communicate a message, a particular message to the Israelites. And this hadn't happened in 400 years. The last prophet to do so, his name was Malachi. And Malachi had a very specific message to, to, to return to, to being faithful to God. He told the Israelites to return to being faithful. And he also promised along the way that God's plan of salvation had not yet come, but it would come. He had a plan for their salvation, the good news of great joy that was coming, but it had not yet come. And so Malachi pointed the Israelites ahead and said, look, it will come. During this 400 years, there were empires that rose, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, and Israel was taken over by all of these but the empires also fell, and along the way, the Jewish people went in and out of faithfulness to God. But we enter into Luke, and the start of this um, time period, there were Jewish men and women who had returned to observing the ways of the law, and two people in particular were very faithful in this, Zechariah and Elizabeth were their names. So let's open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25 this morning, and we're going to begin our Christmas story. It's a big chunk, so hang in there with me, all right? Verse 5 starts out, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people. Now today's story is, it's really a, the entrance into the Christmas story, and, and it's all about John the Baptist, really. But it's really key to understand why God chooses to start the story here. So why does God begin with John the Baptist, with Zechariah and Elizabeth in this fashion? So I want to draw our attention to the very first few verses we read in, in verses 6 and 7. It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, I have to ask you, who does this sound like to you guys? Who does this sound like? What It reminds me of an Old Testament couple by the name of Abram and Sarai. And Abram and Sarai were described in a similar fashion. They were both old. Sarai was barren. She didn't have any children. And they wanted a child. And they were advanced in years. Well, God is giving us a story, right? A reminder of this story from the Old Testament of Abram and Sarai, drawing us back to the Abrahamic covenant. Now, why is he doing that? Well, let's take a look at verse, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. In the Abrahamic covenant, this is what God promised Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is drawing our attention. He draws up a, a couple in his plan, right, with the exact 
description Abram and Sarai have so that we look back to this covenant because this is exactly what God is thinking about. He wants to remind us of his continued faithfulness and to remind us of what he is about to accomplish and fulfill. He wants us to recognize that there's a new covenant coming which is about to be ushered into the world. That God is going to fulfill this covenant with the covenant of Christ and his blood and his body. One that will end animal sacrifice and the requirements of the law to a belief that Jesus has fulfilled those things for us. So my first point today, going back to Genesis, looking at how God has designed the start of our Christmas story to remind us of Abram and Sarai is that Christmas was a long time coming. (laughs) Christmas was planned and purposed by God and that God never for a second forgot about us in the world lost in sin. God is faithful. God's plan to save the world from our sins was his plan the whole time, even all the way back to Abram. And Jesus came to this earth because God had intricately woven this story to display his glory and to save us from our sin. And Christmas, you know, it's not a a German or an American creation or any other country's creation, but it has and always been a celebration of God's greatest gift to the world, his son Jesus. Now, the fact that uh, God chose Zechariah Elizabeth and John is also absolutely no random act. Just take a look at their names and what they mean. Zechariah, the Lord remembers. Elizabeth, the Lord's promise. And John, the Lord is gracious. God selected Zechariah and Elizabeth as the starting actors in his story to remind us that the Lord remembers The Lord's promise and the Lord is gracious. God remembers. He is faithful. His covenant faithfulness is unlike anything. So we have to ask ourselves as we start a Christmas story and we're learning about John, well, how particularly does John fit into this story? Well, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, about 700 years before John was born and before Jesus was born, John's life was prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah says this, There would be a voice crying in the the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Meaning, there would be a precursor to the Messiah. There would be someone coming before the Messiah, before the Lord's appointed one, that would announce Jesus to the world, that would announce this Savior and prepare the way for the Savior. And John is this one. Zechariah and Elizabeth, when when the angel comes to Zechariah and tells Zechariah that he will have a child with his wife, they're having a baby in their old age, that John is going to be this one preparing the way of the Lord. He is going to be the herald of Christ. And as heralding goes, right, usually we think of uh, the angels. Like we keep the heralding to the angels. Hark the herald angels sing, right? We usually keep the heralding at Christmas time with the angels. But this first Christmas story tells us about Christ's herald. 
in the person of John. And John's mission is described in verse 16 through 17 as, he, as, as he's preparing and will prepare the people. In verse 16 and 17 it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, meaning Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, in order that, or so that, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And I thought about this. This is really the job of the priests in the Old Testament. It was their job to prepare the people for festivals, for sacrifices. It was their job to prepare the people spiritually. But for John, John receives this angelic presentation Because his job is not going to be to prepare the people for another festival that will keep going, but he's going to prepare the people spiritually for the last sacrifice, the one that will end sacrifices, the one who prepares the way for Christ, the priest who sets the way for Christ to come to the people. This is John's mission, and he receives this angelic promise and God promise in his birth. So my second point today is this. As we look at John and his, his story, his purpose, his mission was only to herald Christ as Savior. And this Christmas, this is also our mission to herald Christ as Savior. Now, I have a herald in my family, and it's not Uncle Harold. I mean an actual herald. I have a trumpet blower in my family. Many of you know this. Uh, in fact, last Sunday we went and saw my, one of my dad's uh, concerts with his Dixieland band, and um, you know he, he loves playing his trumpet, and I love going to, to listen to my dad play that trumpet. But a herald is an official messenger, right, who brings news or is going before the presence of a king or some kind of uh, authoritative figure, right, that carries weight and, in essence, carries the message of this, this person that they're representing. But a lot of times when we think of a herald, we think of musical processions, we think of rolling out, you know, red carpet and... and um, well, my dad kind of did this in a metaphorical way on February 20th, 2020. Any of you remember this date in history? This is when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Curtis is raising his hand in the back like, I remember that date in history. So February 20th, right, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Well, my dad was uh, in such great jub- jubilation, right, that uh, he got out his trumpet and he went out on the patio, right, and he started playing his trumpet, like an Arrowhead fight song, right? He was playing the Chiefs song. We were excited. We were losing our minds in the living room. And uh, our neighbors outside, they were on the back porch, and they had a bunch of folks over, and they were having a Super Bowl party. Of course, we're all celebrating. But my dad's playing his trumpet to them. And once he gets done with the song, you know, there's huge shouts of cheering and joy, and it was really, it was awesome, right? It was great. It was a fantastic time. I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again, so I have the privilege of uh, witnessing that again. But my dad, my dad was heralding, right, this greatness of the Chiefs. He was so excited. He was happy. He was elated. 
And as I was thinking about this, this was John's life, to herald Christ. And this is what we should be doing this Christmas, is heralding Christ. We are the next heralds. John was Christ's first herald, and we are the next heralds. So I was also thinking about this idea and purpose of John's life as we think about Christmas. I thought about a song which doesn't always cross my mind as a Christmas song. Maybe some of you are like me, but does anyone know that Go Tell It on the Mountain is a Christmas song, actually? Don't know that? When I sang it as a little kid, never crossed my mind, right, in Sunday school. But these are the lyrics of Go Tell It on the Mountain. I love these lyrics. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born and brought us all salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born, that Jesus Christ is born. This is our purpose this Christmas, Christmas, to herald Christ, to share with the world, to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus has been born, that our sins will ultimately be paid for, and they are paid for. And we celebrate this time because we have freedom from our sin. This hurt, this tension, this brokenness that the world has can be fixed. It can be solved. It can be healed through Christ alone. And this is that message that we herald to the world, that we go tell it on the mountain to. So getting back into the text here with our story, Zechariah, when he hears this plan for his son, when he hears that he and his wife are going to have a child in their old age, right? He's in disbelief. He does not believe it. And the angel even reveals himself to be not kind of like a sub-angel or, you know, the third string angel or whatever it is that you want to think about, right? He says, no, I'm Gabriel. I literally stand in the presence of God, right? And I've been sent here directly from God to you, right? And, and Zechariah didn't initially believe this angel. And we know that, that there is a, a, a doubtful response. This isn't kind of a, an inquisitive or kind of questioning response that Zechariah says to the angel when he says, how shall I know this? You've promised me a child to prepare the way for the one coming to, to forgive our sins, right? But how, how am I going to know this? I'm an old man and my, my wife is advanced in years. Well, we know this isn't just an, uh, uh, a, a simple question, right? Because the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So I thought about this and I, I thought this is confusing to me at first, right? An angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple, and he doesn't believe the angel. But then I, I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I was like, well, this kind of actually makes perfect sense, because this is kind of what I do with Christmas sometimes, and what I do with my faith in Jesus. I'm very much comfortable with participating in community-based events around Christmas time. Yet we can neglect the personal plan God has for us in Christmas time. Zechariah, 
He was faithful to the Lord. He was a priest. He led the community in uh, practicing spiritual disciplines, right? Preparing the people, right? But then when it came to God saying, no, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth, I have a plan for you personally during this Christmas, Zechariah doubted. And he didn't see it. He didn't see the connection. And sometimes I can be like that. I can celebrate. I can come to church on Sundays. I can, I can listen to the songs and sing the songs with joy. And then I leave and I don't recognize that God has a personal plan for me this Christmas too. To take Jesus to the world. And that we take Jesus with us when we leave here. So my third point this morning is that God has a personal plan for you this Christmas. He has a personal plan for you this Christmas. One of my favorite verses, and I try to fit it into every sermon, <laughs> is 1 Peter 2.9. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word proclaim is herald, <laughs> that you may herald his excellencies, that he saved you from your sins, that he saved us from our sins, that he's paid the penalty for our sins. This is the excellency that we proclaim to the world. Get out the trumpets. <laughs> Let's Blow the trumpets really hard this Christmas, right? Let's make it known that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's Lord and Savior of our life, and he's the Lord and Savior of this entire world. When God sent Jesus to the earth, he redeemed us, started this plan of redemption, and has now turned us into proclaimers of Jesus and his greatness. And if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a part of his plan in ushering in his kingdom this Christmas season. You know, Zechariah was on board with the letters of the law and following the law. He was very faithful and he's called even righteous in God's word. But yet when it came to his obedience to a personal call involving his family and their place in God's design, he doubted initially. So this Christmas, may we obey not only gathering together and remembering Jesus here in this building and all our community-based functions, which are wonderful, but may we actively seek his personal mission, which he's given us. And this could be many different things. This could be maybe for the first time you you celebrate Christmas with Christ at the center. Maybe it's your first Christmas as a family, you celebrate for the right reason. And you read through the Christmas story with your family. Rivers brought up the Advent devotion that you can take as a family. Take it home. Make it a part of your Christmas rhythm, right? Maybe this is reaching out to a friend or family member that needs to be reminded, even if they don't come, that they are welcome to join you for any part of your celebrations this Christmas. I know uh, for me personally, Kirsten and I met a lot of new neighbors um, over Halloween with our uh, bonfire. And for us, we want to bake a lot of cinnamon rolls, cookies, whatever it is that will bring joy, right, to the, to the, to the home. But we also want to make sure we're 
inviting them personally over to our home, inviting them to church. They're welcome to come here to Neighborhood Church. Maybe something like that can be done for you as well in meeting neighbors. And maybe you might uh, help a neighbor string up some Christmas lights who's outside uh, needing some help or cleaning out their gutters or raking their leaves. I wish I had some neighbors like that. <laughs> really did. But let's seek out God's personal plan for us this Christmas. And in doing so, like Zechariah and Elizabeth come to know, they find true joy in obeying God. The last portion of the message this morning I just comes from the last couple verses. I didn't want to skip over this part because Elizabeth is a, a wonderful character and I, I feel as if she speaks a lot to people who are hurting and her story or going through hardship, whether it be something they can control themselves or something they haven't been able to control. But in verse 24 and 25, after Zechariah leaves the temple, a mute, trying to sign his way to people that he's seen an angel, right? Goes home. After a little while, Elizabeth conceived, verse 24 and verse 25. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The story of Elizabeth, it's very strong with the power of Christmas that is coming. Elizabeth's public shame being lifted is a foreshadowing of our shame from our sin being lifted off us through the work of Jesus on the cross. When Elizabeth went into solitude for five months out of such joy coming to her through this child, John, she represents and points to a whole world riddled with shame of sin, longing to be free of it, and in finding it, is overwhelmed with such joy. Elizabeth's sorrow and public scorning was turned to joy, just like our sorrow from our sin is turned into joy at the foot of the cross. This good news of great joy God has planned from the beginning of time, this message is what God has planned for us to personally herald to the world this Christmas. Trusting in Jesus who died on the cross for our sin removes the guilt of shame of sin. That's my last point this morning, is that this good news of Christ replaces shame with joy. This is what our our world longs for. This is what we long for. This is what really the joy about Christmas, right, is that my sin is replaced with joy. That when Jesus comes into the world, I no longer have to pay for this sin. I can openly confess it because the one who will hold me in contempt is satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. God will not punish me for my sin because Jesus loved me so much to come to this earth and die on the cross for my sin. And he loves the whole world just like that. And we have the best news this Christmas to give away. We have the greatest news 
we have the good news of great joy for everyone. Ultimately, shame and sin are wiped away when we put our faith in the good news of the gospel of Jesus. This is the beauty of Christmas. As we looked at John and the starting of this Christmas story, John the Baptist later on went on to prepare the way for Jesus. And he said something prophetic as Jesus approached him coming into the Jordan River. I want to end with this passage. It says that John looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So let the joy of knowing our Savior Jesus was born to take away our sins fill us this season. And may we be like John and herald Jesus' name to the world that they may seek and find salvation through him. Merry Christmas, everyone.